We've been talking, we've, we've eased into this year with this whole idea of, of taking 2023 like a boss, or like he's the boss. And it reminded me, I mentioned this morning in prayer, we've just uh, helped uh, Brendan and Kirsty move. And I think the beginning of the year is a bit like a house move. Because at the end of the year, we, we, we sort of pack up everything into boxes like, phew, thank goodness 2022's over. And we look at some things and we think, well, don't need that. We look at other things and say, whoa, that was useful. That, we'll keep that. And so you sort things. So moving house is actually good because you get rid of a lot of junk. And so at the end of 2022, we hopefully got rid of some junk. If you're hanging on to stuff you don't need, go home right after the service and chuck it out. And, we, and the, the other thing is you pack it up and then you move to a new place and you've got all these boxes. And so what happens is you, you pack them all neatly into a truck and you take them somewhere else and then you've got to unpack it. And then you put it in piles around the house. It looks magnificent. Ever wandered into a new home? All it is is rooms with boxes. And that's how we start the year. We've got all this potential for a fully furnished house lying around in pieces. Where did I put that packet of bolts? We're not going to sleep tonight unless I can find the bolts for the bed. And so we start to reconstruct things. We start to have a vision for what that house will look like. And it's the same with this year. We've started to unpack what we're going to do for this year. We talked about the importance of actually making real change. So, you know, moving house, a real change, different address. And so we start unpacking that. We get out the things we need to live for that next year. And then we have to realize that the new house isn't the same as the old house. There's a different number of rooms. The rooms are different sizes. Our favorite wardrobe doesn't fit. Or the fridge doesn't fit in the kitchen along with the dining table because there's a, a space that wide between them and so to move. So you've got to adapt. You've got to think, okay, where can we put the fridge so that it doesn't kill everybody every time you open the door? And we talked about the, the fact that we have to adapt to changing conditions, even though our plans might have been firmly set to begin with, we, we sort of have to manage how those things go. And then we talked about the fact that we need to surrender it to God. Now, we think we'd like to be in charge. But we need to give it to God to let him be in charge. And, and, and this, is, this is all, we, we were still in January. So this, these are the starter things. It's a bit like starting on a journey in your car. You get into your car, you start it, and then you plug your phone in and you type in your destination into Google Maps or Apple Maps. Let's, let's not get into an argument about which is best. And then you press Start. And this voice says, head east on Beulah Road towards Fullerton Road. And it might be feminine or masculine, depending on what Siri you're using. And that's great. That's where we are. But to actually get anywhere, you have to move the car in that direction and keep following the directions until you get to your destination. You have to persist. You cannot stop at the first on the run that you see, nip in for a pie and a Coke and a donut, and then think, oh, well, that was fun, let's go home. We actually have to continue to persist until we reach our destination. But unlike a car journey, and I don't know whether this is just me, but even if you've set goals and planned out what you want to anticipate to achieve in 2023, it can actually be really hard to know 
How long do I need to persist? Uh, do I, is there some point I need to change direction? Should I perhaps stop? And how do I know when I'm supposed to reap the reward for this perseverance? And so I'm going to hopefully help you today sort out some of that in your own life. Because the reason there are no formulas for this, I don't, I don't care how much you look up in the Bible, you won't find a recipe to actually work out how you manage these goals or how, how you manage your persistence. Because it's all tied up in our relationship with Jesus. It's actually keeping a close relationship with him, communicating with him that allows us to continue to persist. It's like with, with your, your maps. Every time you come to an in intersection, it tells you what to do next. There's a constant communication between you and your friendly electronic voice to keep you on track. And so I want to highlight three stories from Scripture which all give examples of different attitudes and outcomes that various people have experienced when asked to persist to achieve their goals or visions. And the first example is knowing when to stop. Who thinks that's an important one? Who thinks that's too in early in the year to think about stopping yet? In 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 5, well, let, a bit of backstory before I read this is Elisha, the prophet, has a group of uh, other prophets around him. And the widow of one of the prophets approaches him to let him know that she is in debt and the, debtors are, the uh, creditors are going to come and take away her children to pay for that debt. Lovely place. Um, and it, so he tells her, she tells, he tells her to go and get all the jars that she can from her store and the neighbours, anywhere she can get it. And he gives her a jar of oil, which he then says, close the doors, go inside and start pouring oil into the jars. And as she poured, and it goes on, she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. And so there's a, there's a great story here of miraculous provision that actually stopped when they ran out of jars. You still think, well, if they'd had more jars, they could have got more oil. But the interesting thing is he told her, Elisha told this, this woman, collect all the jars you can. So they, had, they were at capacity. They not only used their own jars, but they'd got all the neighbor's jars. And so there were no more jars. And it stopped. You still think, well, is it, why did it stop? Because I, this, this is another principle that God often uses. Did I tell you at any point in the story that this woman was short of olive oil? No. She had a debt she had to repay. And so what happened is sometimes the flow of blessing needs to stop so that you can actually move on to the next phase of what you're doing. In verse 7, it says, When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Right, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on what's left over. And so God often, when we, we ask for things, God often, when, when we've got plans and visions, he doesn't give us the complete package. So oh, here you go, done. He gives us the means to fulfill the need that we have. And so when he does that, sometimes we think God's forgotten us because he stops. 
with that. But he has to stop so that we can actually do the next bit. We actually have to persist in having faith in what God has provided and believing that he's with us on the next stage. He hasn't forgotten us because things change. And I firmly believe that there's actually a divine purpose between, behind every blessing. It's not just so that we get blessed. There's always a great victory in that and we should be thankful for the blessing but we've got to be ready to fulfill the purpose behind the blessing. Okay, the second example is giving up too soon. Now I'm going to confuse you. Second Kings 13, 17. It's Elisha again. And he's dying, but the king of Israel has come to him, uh, a king called Jehoash, who was not a good king. He, he was a naughty boy didn't follow the statutes of God but finally he comes to um, Elisha and he wants uh, he's in deep trouble because the the Aramites um, Aramites yeah I think that's who they are Arameans that's it you can read it faster than me Um, are attacking and so Elisha says well open the window grab a bow and arrow and fire shoot an arrow out the window And so as he shoots it, Elisha proclaims, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. And who who would like that sort of thing? Just chuck a rock out the window. Yep, that is the rock. You are going to crush your enemies. That little rock's going to turn into a boulder. It's going to be like the asteroids killing the dinosaurs. You're going to win. You'd think, yes. I'm in. This is great. God is on my side. I'm going to, this, is, this is fabulous. So he's quite chuffed at this, this prophecy. But then Elisha asks him to do something else. In verse 18, he says, Now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. How now you will only be victorious three times. What the heck is the story here? So that, well, you know, if, you've, if you've read your, uh, your biblical new, uh, numerology, you'll know that three times is the, is the number of completion of God's um, glory and, and uh, what else? Um, perfection. So you thought, well, surely he did the right thing. He, he knew his Bible numerology. He just thought, yeah, let's, let's tap him on the ground three times. That's got to be pleasing to God because it's the right number. But I think we've got, and, and also this idea of striking arrows on the ground is, seems a bit weird. Uh, some commentators actually think what, it, what he meant was he actually stuck three arrows in the ground and fired them out the window as well. So instead of that, but I don't know the veracity of that particular thought. But the thing was that he just picked three and, and, and did what he was asked. But Elisha was actually trying to find out how enthusiastic Jehoash was about this idea of beating the Arameans. Because if you've, if you've got a prophecy of victory and somebody tells you to do something to sh- that's going to add to that victory, are you going to be a bit more enthusiastic than just three arrows? Because the five or six, those numbers, five is God's mercy and six is man's weakness, doesn't seem to fit. You know, the numbers don't matter. But what 
Elisha was after was enthusiasm. The fact that Jehoash was going to be excited about the fact that God had given him a prophecy that he was going to be victorious over his enemies and he was, he was going to go a bit over the top. But all he did was get three and you know, smack them on the ground. So, is that enough? Have I done the right thing? And so we've got to make sure that we don't stop before our victory is complete. That we're actually enthusiastic enough about and faithful to do what God has asked us to do. That we're not ho-hum about it all. Yeah, 2023. It doesn't work this year. We've got 2024. You might not. So we've got to ask ourselves, how often do we stop before our victory is complete? Because we think either our efforts don't count for much or we're hoping that God will do all of it. And the third is an example of what to never stop doing. And this links into the idea of surrender. This isn't a one-time set-and-forget type of experience. It requires daily maintenance. There's a great parable that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke about the importance of this. In Luke 18, verse 1, it says, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Isn't it great that when you start reading things in the Bible, it gives you clues as to what, why you should be reading it? And Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray. So why are we reading this story? To show that there's something we should always be doing. <coughs> Excuse me. It says there was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. Perfect um, qualifications to be a judge. You've got to wonder about this guy. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. And then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Now notice that this is a parable or a story. We are not meant to equate God with an unjust judge, nor are we actually meant to act in a way towards God that might drive him crazy. But we are called, as his chosen people, to communicate our joys, our fears, our plans, our pain, our difficulties, our victories, and our desires to him day and night. Jesus asked the question, how many of you are going to keep the faith? How many, are you, how many are still going to be praying persistently when the Son of Man returns? And so there are some things that we should always persist at. The, the one thing, I guess, in my life, that we've persisted at was actually running this church. Vicky and I took on this church in a crisis. And for a long time, although I, I don't think I ever really told anybody this, I, w I was certain that God had called me, or us, to look after this church to get it out of that crisis. And that somebody else would come along better qualified to actually take the church on after that. Because we weren't qualified to take on a church at all. 
I mean, we would just happen to be the right people at the wrong place, uh, right place. Um, and 26 years later, nearly 26, are you 26 next birthday, Jared? Yep. yep. Stop looking at your phone. <laughs> oh, I can see my eyesight's pretty good, even there. Um, and so over time, the church grew, new people came, things started to happen, and we felt that perhaps God then could use us to grow his church. But we made sure that, we asked him a lot. We kept it with an open hand. We said, you know, is this where we're meant to be, Lord? Because if it's not, you know, tell us, we'll do something different. And some years, we'd speak to him like this, and we'd think, I hope God doesn't move us on. This is really great. And other years, I've got to admit, we held it out to God and said, here, take it. <laughs> not very often. But the thing is that God picks you because of the talents he can use in you. And I have, I've come to the conclusion that the key skill that God chose us for was just not giving up. Nothing else, which annoys me a bit. <laughs> sort of thought it might have been my great preaching or sort of our holiness and all of that. But No, I, I think that God just wanted a couple who weren't going to give up. And even now, at a time when we're, we're looking to the future, at a time when there will be a transition, we're not going to be doing this forever. But even then, it's, we're, we're not giving up. We're keeping on doing what God has asked us to do, and we believe that we will see success and God's glory when we keep doing it. We persist, we keep praying, we keep the faith. So man, no matter what, We've all got planned for 2023. We have to be alert in case we're called to stop. We've got to make sure we don't let our own weakness stop us seeing God's plan come to completion in what we're doing. And there are some things that we should never, 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 ever stop, that we should persist throughout this year and beyond. These habits, like prayer, form the foundation of our plans and not to be undermined or neglected as we build on them. All of these decisions and the habits that they form are self-defeating if we do them alone. Remember, we are conquering 2023 like he's the boss. We've got to put him first. Only if we do that, only if we constantly communicate with him, will we know whether we're called to stop whether we're called to reap the harvest that is due, whether we're called to persist. Because if we make those decisions on our own, we'll get lost. We won't see the victory that God has for us. So keep Jesus first in our plans. And guess what? 2023 could be the most exciting year so far in all of our lives. Who'd like that? Who'd like to replace the word exciting with uh, easy or uh, non-confrontational non, uh, or uh, no change? I know we'd all like to be comfortable a lot of the time, but that's not the life we've been called to. We're called to persist at what God has asked us to do. Now, before I finish, the one thing that we have to do before we can persist 
is to start. And you may be here, you may have heard all of this, and you may be thinking, well, I need, if I'm, if I'm going to have close communication with God, if I'm going to persist and see victory and have God in my life, I've first of all got to actually start a conversation with God. And to do that, you actually have to, we have to humble ourselves to a point where we can say, Lord, I'm not doing this on my own anymore. I recognize that I can't, that I need you, and I want to walk with you. I want to acknowledge that you are my Lord, that it's only through you that I am saved, and I want to start that relationship. And we can do that just by praying a prayer and declaring that Jesus is our Lord. And if that's you this morning, and you want to take that step, I'm going to be down here at the front at the end of the service. I'd love to pray that prayer with you and start you on that journey of persistence with Jesus. But right now, let's just stand again one more time. For many people, the rubber hits the road tomorrow. Start of the school year. As Vicky said, we've got two grandkids starting school. That can be a massive change. I think back to when I first started primary school, and I can't remember a thing. <laughs> but somehow I managed and got through it. And I, don't, I don't remember it as being a terribly bad experience. I think it was probably quite good. But it's a, it's a great upheaval. And I think we can learn from children in the way they handle these upheavals in their life. And I don't mean the perfect ones who go to school and it's like there's never even a ripple. The ones that are excited, that are ones that are frightened, the ones that are screaming with joy, that are ones that are screaming in fear, all of those things. As adults, they often embarrass us because they're raw emotion, they're raw excitement. And we, we, we try to damp that down in our lives because it's, you know, we wouldn't want to appear strange to anyone. We wouldn't let people know that we have feelings. We don't want people to know that underneath this smooth, debonair exterior, we're scared witless. <laughs> but when we watch their interactions with life and we see that they wear their emotions and their, their, their life on their sleeve as it were I think we should take note children are very brave but they don't always show it the way we do they're brave because they don't let the experience stop them even though it's a rocky road sometimes so I, I just want us to make a commitment to God today that we'll stop hiding what we really feel from him because I don't know whether you've noticed but it doesn't work he knows just a spoiler there but that we actually he actually he actually appreciates our honesty he appreciate he appreciates us showing him how we're feeling if we acknowledge you know what's really inside of us God can work with that and I believe that often the greatest victory comes out of what to us looks like our greatest embarrassment, our greatest fail, our greatest non-event. 
And so I just want to pray that we are prepared to start this year opening ourselves up to God. Letting Him direct our lives. Not sweating the small stuff. Not trying to be who we're not. Not trying to fool people into thinking that we're perfect Christians. Because I've led a church for 26 years and I haven't found one yet. But Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the plans and purposes you have for us. We thank you that as we move forward, that you have promised to be with us for every step of the way. To never leave us or forsake us. And we grab hold of that promise and hold on to it tightly as we move forward in this year 2023. Encourage us and bless us, mighty Jesus. Amen.